With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I think we got a heck of a shot of winning. We beat anybody in the world, and I think we're going to win next Sunday. Yes, Namath is on the hot seat. Most of the pressure is on him. He has said that the Jets are going to win. He doesn't even predict it. He says, I guarantee a Jet victory. Attitude is a whole lot in life. And I had a terrific attitude about that game. I know we're going to win. I have that attitude. I feel that way. And it's not overconfidence thing. It's football sense. Talking about guaranteeing we're going to win. Yeah, that's right. That's the way we felt. The game is over. The New York Jets are the world champions. They have upset the Baltimore Colts and beat them handily here today. Welcome to Jets All the Way with Mags and Sabo, part of Elite Sports Radio. What's up, Jets Nation, and welcome to the first ever edition, the inaugural edition, as Jamal Adams might say, of the Jets All The Way podcast. I am Jeff Magliacetti, and those of you who don't know, I am the Jets credentialed beat writer over at Elite Sports New York. You can check out my work over at EliteSportsNewYork.com. I'm coming off my first season covering the Jets, and now that I'm in somewhat entrenched with the organization, I, uh, I want to start this podcast a little bit and talk some Jets football with you guys, with you, the fans, a little bit, my fellow writers over at ESNY. You'll get to meet one of them in a, in a minute. My editor, as a matter of fact, our fearless leader, you'll get to meet him in a minute. But let me tell you a little about myself first. I have, like I said, been with the Jets for the past year working with them. 
uh, the past two seasons, I was working with the New York Giants covering them. The Jets are not my only duties over at ESNY. I also covered the WNBA's New York Liberty, as well as Army football and select college basketball events. I recently did preview, for example, for the Atlantic 10 tournament. Got some chaos over there, by the way. Virginia Commonwealth top seeded just lost. So unfortunately, I had them winning the whole thing. So unfortunately, not always for the best. Hey, it happens. But I'm very excited to be bringing you the Jets All the Way podcast. And for those of you who don't know, that is a West Side Story reference. And and being from the tri-state area, I can't believe I haven't seen West Side Story yet. The one reference I know from West Side Story is the fact that it showed up in an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm once. So I got that going for me, which is nice. So just want to introduce you to the Jets All the Way podcast. It's going to be great. I can't wait to take you guys through the offseason, which is ongoing. Plenty to talk about. So we have an action-packed first episode heading your way. We got the offseason. Then we're going to go through training camp. We're going to go through the draft. And we'll go straight through the regular season, which, of course, is preceded by the preseason training camp. And we'll get to the regular season. And I'm sure what you Jets fans are hoping for the most, the playoffs as well. Once this gets more on the ground, we'll take questions and submissions from you, the fans. We'll maybe get some special guests in here. But for now, just the two of us. And let me introduce you to the second half of that duo. Let me introduce our fearless leader, my editor, and fellow writer, Robbie Sabo. Robbie, let's do this. Well, a couple of things. First, Officer Krupke. Yeah, Larry David had some issues that episode. <laughs> Um, Again. He, he just couldn't manage to avoid the lemonade stand for some reason. Yeah, yeah. The second thing is fearless leader. I mean, I would never dare call myself the president. That's uh, reserved for one specific individual in Jetsland. <laughs> yes. But yet, yes, we uh, we're very excited to bring you this podcast. Like Jeff, I'm credentialed with the Jets as well. Covered them from August to mid season, and uh, we're going to be tag teaming it moving forward. And um, starting this podcast right now is the most perfect, beautiful timing there could be because a couple of things happened this week. Why? What happened, and, what uh, happened to Jetsland this week, Rob? Some guy, some guy named Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell, you say, huh? Yeah. Uh, who is he? Let me know. Ah, well, last time I checked, he was just running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers. That feels like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But... In that span, he did a fantastic job for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and now he's a member of the New York Jets, coming in on a four-year deal worth $52.5 million. My goodness, wouldn't we all want a piece of that pie? Yeah, that's not bad. Um, <laughs> it's a, Listen, it's a bargain for the Jets, there's no doubt. Absolutely. It's and, a bargain, and we're, we come at it from different perspectives, but this is what we're going to discuss. And, um, you know, the guaranteed money, 35 million, I think... Regardless of my pessimism, which the fans will will hear pretty soon, mm-hmm. I think he's going to have a good season twenty eight in twenty nineteen. But, but let's look at the way championship teams are built through mm-hmm. the NFL. A year ago, he, here's a list of the top paid running backs on the Super Bowl champions. Far away. <clears throat> a year ago, Sony Michelle, thirty second in the NFL, one point seven five million. Two years ago, Darren Sproles, 14th in the NFL, $4 million. Brandon Bolden, 33rd in the NFL, $1.2 million. Ronnie Hillman, 44th in the NFL. Shane Vereen, 41st. Marshawn Lynch, the outlier, 4th. Ray Rice, 14th. Brandon Jacobs, 7th. 
the position bleeds value. Yes, the, the Jets have a lot of cap space right now, but this position is one under the salary cap, which rules all personnel, which rules how, you, how teams dictate their winning, mm. bleeds value. And paying Le'Veon Bell, a guy who's, let's face it, has been unreliable in his career, is a, is a, is a big time, I don't want to say it, risk, but it, it, it's a big time conversation to be had. For those of you who, who don't know, I tend to be the glass half full type of guy over at ESNY when it comes to Jets. Rob, as he just said, turns out to be the glass half empty. But that's why we're here. That's why we're on it. And we're looking forward to, by the way, going beyond the articles for a chance to talk with you, to analyze further, to say what we could say even further in not just words that are printed, words that are spoken as well. But on that note, you, you're right, Rob. This is a risk for the New York Jets. And this is a risk in the sense that they're taking on name brand talent. And it might be a win in its own for the Jets that they can take a chance on name brand talent once more. They're in a position where they're actively building a championship contender. Now, the past two seasons, you know, it was all, it was basically they were trying to play out the stretch a little bit. You know, they were rebuilding, for lack of a better term, the best as you can in the NFL. And, you know, the NFL is a weird league. One year you could be a game away from the Super Bowl like the Jacksonville Jaguars were, and next thing you know, you're at the bottom of your own division. But this was a risk that the New York Jets can definitely afford to take right now. I wrote a little bit on ESNY earlier this week, and I didn't really get into this while in the article. And in the article, I, may, I mainly stated that Le'Veon Bell's personal failure, remember, he could have made $15 million with the Pittsburgh Steelers last season had he simply signed the franchise tag that they offered to him for the second consecutive season. So he could have made 15 million. He'll go to the Jets and make just under 14 just under 13 million, I believe, for years 52. There's a reason there's a reason I'm on a uh, sports podcast and not one about about math. So that's just over 13 million, right? Yeah. I, <laughs> listen, the the numbers he definitely lost. Yes. He bet on himself, lost. It's the Jets gain. From a pure numbers point of view, it's a good deal. It really is. Um, where does this place him? Second behind Gurley? I don't know. It might be, it might be ranked third in terms of running back paid positions, but it doesn't matter. What's um, to me? What's yeah. to me to, to me? Those those names that you said, you know, the Boldens, the Sony Michels. Let's talk about Sony Michelle for a second. What was interesting about the New England Patriots last year was that Tom Brady was not the world beater that everyone has come to know him for last year. There were games he very much very much struggled, and Sony Michelle came in and actually did a pretty good job picking up the offensive slack a little bit, which was very impressive for a rookie to do. So basically what I'm trying to say is running back is slowly starting to make a revival here in the NFL. This was an interesting case in that – Let's flash back to last year. When I was writing for the Giants, as I said before, I was one of the few who actually stood up for the decision to draft Saquon Barkley second overall. I thought that was the right move for the Giants because when you have a chance to, you know, take a world-class talent, a world-class athlete like Saquon at number two, you do it. And I also mention that because this was this is a league that is starting to value the running back position 
once more. A couple years back, you're absolutely right. Running back was a dying position in this league. The New York Giants, for example, when they won their last Super Bowl, were dead last in the league in rushing, if I recall correctly, that year. So, so yeah, running back was a dying position. It was, for lack of a better term, going extinct. But now, thanks to young guys like Todd Gurley, thanks to guys like Ezekiel Elliott, who really makes that Dallas Cowboys offense go, thanks to guys like Saquon Barkley, running back is starting to see, to their val- the value of running backs is starting to be reassessed and revalued in this league. So I definitely want to give the Jets credit for doing this. And every move the Jets need to the Jets have to make moving forward has to focus on one question. How does this help Sam Darnold? Because if you don't have a franchise quarterback in this league, you're dead in the water, basically. You can't compete in this league. Yes, you could say the Philadelphia field, the Philadelphia Eagles did just fine in the Super Bowl with Nick Foles, but how did they get there for a majority of the year with a franchise quarterback in Carson Wentz? So you need to make sure Sam Darnold is as comfortable as possible back there. And one thing that was one thing that I didn't really cover in the article that I kind of wanted to do, and I could kind of go into detail now a little bit. Thank God for this podcast, but. The Jets could afford this risk because they had already taken several steps in the interim to make Sam Darnold com- comfortable. Before the season even let out, Quincy Nunwan, one of his favorite targets last year, was signed to a four-year extension. Did a great job this season, come back from a neck injury that kept him out of all of 2017, even the training camp, because he got hurt on the first day of workouts. So they brought back him on a four-year deal. They also gave a second-round tender to Robbie Anderson, who developed a strong rapport with Darnold over the final four games of the year. So two of Darnold's weapons are already back next season, and I think this was definitely a move the Jets could have were were. The Jets were in a perfect position to make, pretty much. It's a risk that they can take and they can afford to take. Well, you remember the Patriots in the playoffs? Belichick is so strange. Um, he, he will he will go against the grain. Mm-hmm. And what he did in the playoffs is he said, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to lean on our strength, our Dante yes. Scarnecchia offensive line strength. Yes. And bully the defense. And that's exactly what he did with Michelle. Your Saquon Barkley point is right. Listen, you want the quarterback over the running back. There's no question about it. But Barkley, he's more than just a player. He's first a- of all, he comes cheap. The, 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 the first-round picks do not make the money that these free agents do. And you have them. You control them within that window where you can build. Barkley, his character, he's the perfect kid to, to build around, to lead. He's this the, that is what – Yes, and this is what contrasts with Bell a little bit. No one's saying Bell's a bad guy, but he has been unreliable in the past. He's missed 2.125 seasons of a possible six in his career. 1.25 and a possible five if you take away the business decision last year. That's an incredible time. In the National Football League. Yeah, uh, that's that's, that's a lot of time missed. He's also 27. He's going to be 28 next year. Look at the total. Look, look at the total scrimmage yards. Uh, total yards from scrimmage last year for running backs: Saquon Barkley, 21 years old; Elliott, 23; McCaffrey, 22; Gurley, 24; Kamara, 23; Connor, 23; Mixon, 22; David Johnson, 26; Gordon, 25; Carson, 24; Philip Lindsay, an undrafted running back, 24; Adrian Peterson, 33. Bell's 27. It's going to be 28 next year. This is a young man's game. Now, those are the negatives. 
the positives, as I'm doing some film right now on him, he's the most talented back in the league. At, at least he was in 2017, the last time he played. Oh, he so. is such a patient runner. It is ridiculous. And he's so all-around good. It's ridiculous. So it helps the Jets now. My strategic uh, understanding of the situation, it, 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 it doesn't help them get to a championship. The O-line is what really will get them to a championship. Investing young talent in that O-line and conventional pass rush is what will get it done. So I'm kind of whatever on Bell. I think it's going to help, but it, it doesn't get them to that ultimate goal. It's an interesting point you're making there, Rob. And by the way, on a side note, Rob does some fantastic work over at the film room over at ESNY. He does a great job over there. You can see it on EliteSportsNewYork.com. You can see it on any of our social media feeds. He does a great job with it over there. Keep up the great work in that aspect, Rob. Film guru, it's a great job. Keep it up. But Yeah, it should have Bill done by tonight, I believe. Okay. And by tonight, we mean Friday night, by the way. Yes, yes. Friday. It's a very... Very good call out. Yeah, I would not have thought of that, to be March, honest. March 15th, basically. The night of March 15th, you see the latest analysis from Rob up there. So very interesting. We're all looking forward to that. Keep up the great work. And that's one of I, – I want to go to one of the more underrated aspects, something that could derail this otherwise strong offseason for the Jets because they've done a good job so far. You know, they brought back two – of Sam Darnold's favorite targets. They gave him some new toys to play with in a way in Jamison Crowder and Josh Bellamy. They also brought in a strong name on defense. I'll sure we'll, I'll sure I'm sure we'll get to in CJ Mosley, but there are two things that can derail this otherwise off season, off season full of hope for the New York jets. One, the fact that they passed on Matt Paredes. Now Matt Paredes could have been a great addition for them. And the jets are in a position where they needed to improve the offensive line. Darnold was under constant pressure last season, and you know it was it was it was tough to watch for him because he was under pressure. He could never really get into a rhythm in the early stages of the year. And you know, if any team has proved that you know offensive line can win you games, it's the Dallas Cowboys. And look what they were able to do with that line for years. Everyone always said, "Well, about the Cowboys O line, what about the Cowboys O line?" And they made they made a pretty strong, mostly seamless transition from one franchise quarterback to another, thanks to that offensive line. And to the Jets' credit, they brought in Frank Pollock, who worked with the Cowboys' offensive line for a couple years to work out, and he could have been a godsend for Paredes, help him unlock even further potential. But now he's down in Carolina. So I definitely think that's a move that the Jets are going to live to regret this offseason. They brought in Jonathan Harrison, or brought him back, as a matter of fact, to play center. He spent the final eight games of the year at center, and it's, it might be safe to say that he's going to keep that position going moving forward. So I definitely think that that's a move that the Jets might end up regretting moving forward. The other thing that concerns me about the Jets this year was that they were unable to retain either of their special team studs, two-thirds of their Pro Bowl tally. Said Jason Myers, of course, is signed with the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, personal story, I actually worked with Jason Myers. We were both on the football team at Myers, but let's just say there's a reason he's playing in the league in the Pro Bowl, and I'm, of course, writing about it. And the other one was Andre Roberts, who went to Buffalo and kind of had some choice words for the organization on his way out. Wasn't a fan of the fact he got released. Felt he was undervalued a little bit. So those are two things that I think could really bring down the Jets' moving forward you know it could really derail any positives that they were trying to gain especially in a season 
that has suddenly become one where they can contend, actually. They haven't felt that way in quite a while. The past two seasons have kind of been washouts. Two seasons ago, 2017, 5-11, yeah, that, yeah, it was a 5-11 and record, but seven of those 11 losses, or eight of those 11 losses, came by 10 points or less. And they managed to hang with some good teams in there with basically with basically what was a makeshift team in there. Josh McCown, a quarterback, posted some of the best numbers of his career, the best numbers of his career, as a matter of fact. So 2017 was a bit of a wash, but they still managed to get five wins. But they failed to build on that momentum of 2017 in 2018 and somehow ended up worse. And it eventually led to the in- inevitable decision of firing Todd Bowles. But this is the year they can contend but those are two moves I think the Jets are going to end up regretting moving forward. Yeah, Paredes was, of every single person available in free agency, Paredes was the guy I wanted the most. Mm-hmm. He has an injury history. The Jets were scared off. And I'm usually wary about injuries myself. You know, Bell. Uh, Bell's more everything else. But Bell missed time. And Nunwa. There's, there's some issues there with Paredes. But th- th- there's two... Huge, there's a lot of holes, but there's two huge factors with the Jets that we need to find out what happens first before we start deciding whether a playoff appearance or not is a disappointment. Offensive line. Yes, they need offensive line help. But if you look around the league, you have to at one at some point you have to make a commitment to drafting premium offensive line help early in the draft. And, you know, offensive line, it may uh, – pardon me, Rob, I just want to say offensive line may very well be the most underrated position in all of sports. Yes, you're playing football, but you have a snowball's chance in heck of appearing in the box score, be it a tackle-eligible play, be it a tackle on an interception, or recovering a fumble in the end zone. So it's not a glamorous position. I get it. You want to bring in these name-brand talents, but – Offensive line helps you win ball games. If you have a strong offensive line protecting the assets, you know you've done your job right. In a way, it's kind of like being a superhero. I used to say this when I was a long snapper, as a matter of fact. It's like being a superhero. If you don't know the names of your guys on the offensive line, you might be doing your job right. Yeah, and listen, it's nearly half the offense. Five of 11 players. People, it's so... here. And here's the worst thing. McCagnan has drafted just two offensive linemen in 28 total picks. Yeah. That, that's egregious. Both in the fifth round. Jarvis Harrison, his first year. Brandon Shell, his second year. Yeah. that It's beyond mind-boggling. We to, and to wonder why the offense struggles so much. If the offensive line was solid, Elijah McGuire would be better. Yes. Darnold would be better. Anunwa and Robbie Anderson would be better. Same goes for the four-man conventional pass rush. If they had a four-man conventional pass rush, Jamal Adams would go from being the best safety in the league to an immortal player. That's literally the transition there. So not getting Paredes, I wanted Paredes, is a bad deal. Mm -hmm. I still want a decade-long left tackle. I still think that is the most important need. Beecham, sure, he might have been the best lineman for them last year, but a duo of Beecham and Shell will never get it done for an you offense. Beecham is decent enough, but like you said, him and Brand Shell, whom we wish, by the way, I was saying before, whom we wish a, a full recovery, suffered that devastating injury in the late stages of last season. Yeah. Those two, they're decent enough, but 
they're not elite or anything. They're not going to they're not going to be the deciding factor in winning you championships, basically. And that's why I say left tackle because there's that kid from Florida, yes. Jawan. There's Jonah Williams in Alabama. And that's why I say left tackle because Shell makes sense to keep with his age, with his controlled contract. Mm-hmm. Beecham's on his last year, would save eight point five million. But the critical aspect here is they didn't secure an edge rusher in free agency because they needed to get an edge rusher to make sure one of those two top needs, edge and offensive line, were taken care of. They thought they had Barr. I didn't think he was uh, 100% relied upon edge rusher. He's a second-level 4-3 guy. Even though he was an edge in UCLA and his NFL pressure stats are good, it's very different when you're just doing it seven times a game as opposed to the entire game. It's, it's much more difficult to get to the quarterback in that situation. And it's hard to make that transition, by the way, to go from, you know, blitz, uh, going on the edge eight times a game. Even though you had experience in college, if you take a few years off in that, it's hard to get reacclimated to being an edge guy all over again. Yeah. And so what, what happened now? I mean, Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith both went to Zadarius and Preston, both went to Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Both of them. Both edge guys. How did the Jets not secure an edge guy in free agency? Uh, it, it really. This is why the Le'Veon Bell stuff really makes me mad because edge and O line were the top positions to, that needed to be secured in free agency, and Osemele is the only thing they got. And Osemele is a guy that closely resembles McCagnon's patchwork mindset as it pertains to the O line. Osemele is Ryan Clady all over again. Thirty years old giving up a fifth-round pick for a guy who's coming off a down year. Cleedy had four four Pro Bowls prior to coming to the Jets. His last Pro Bowl appearance is two seasons ago. It's the same situation as Osemele. Cleedy just had more success. Osemele could turn out to be a good pickup, but honestly, this patchwork narrative on the O-line scares the hell out of me. What's very interesting to me about Kalechi Osemele is that he kind of represents what the Jets are trying to do as a whole, he started off pretty well, you know, won a Super Bowl with the Baltimore Ravens, did a good job there. I believe he has a Pro Bowl nomination to his name, two actually, as a matter of fact, and also earned first first team All-Pro honors in 2016. Those two are completely different things. That's a common question. Yes. But what's interesting to me, he kind of personifies what the Jets are going through as a whole right now. He's trying to reclaim his career, reboot it right now, I guess you could say. Reboots seem to be all the rage out there in Hollywood. You got movies and TV. Everything's getting rebooted these days. I like to reboot an entire football leagues with the XFL coming our way next season. But Osemele, he's looking to reboot his <clears throat> career. And I think we're kind of seeing the same way, the same thing, as a matter of fact, over with the Giants and Corey Coleman, and that he was trying to rewrite the narrative on his own career. You know, first-round pick, kind of a washout in Cleveland and now is trying to reboot things over with the Giants. Osemele is trying to do the same thing, and I think it very much plays into what the Jets are trying to do as well. The Jets are trying to reboot their franchise, turn them, rewrite the moniker that is quote-unquote same old Jets, redefine that term. So I definitely think Osemele is working in this. Both these teams, they're rebuilding in a way, and they have something to play for. And that's why I think Osemele and Bell, as a matter of fact, they're going to come out inspired. They're going to come out angry. And I think this is why these are two good moves the Jets could have made. Now, did they do everything they could have? 
No, Matt Paredes is in Carolina, and that's what they could have done, and it didn't and it didn't pan out. So I definitely think that there is still work to be done. I believe we were talking a little bit before we came on about the Jets and what they'll do with the third pick in the draft. Had they gotten, say, a guy like Anthony Barr or someone else uh, over at the edge, or like the guys you mentioned that went to Green Bay, they could have used that third-round pick, maybe trade down, and obtained further assets. Now they're in a position where they must take either Bosa or Allen with that third overall pick. It kind of limits your options in a way. Yeah, listen, you're so right about the rebooting narrative. It's what they're trying to do. But a Bell, even an Osemele, who's 30, yeah, those are roster completion moves. Those aren't building block moves. And oh, that's what's that's what we move if if I get what you're saying. Like when you say a team is one move away from the Super Bowl, a team like Indianapolis would do something like that. Yeah, those are sprinkle on the top of the nucleus moves. Yeah, and that's what McCagnan has failed to do in securing a nucleus within that Jamal Adams Darnold contract window. Yes. Now, you know, he, he's hit on his first round picks, but that's pretty much it. And that's the issue here. Um, we talk about Paredes, we talk about no edge help. Now, because that didn't happen, you know that third pick is going to an edge man, Bosa or Allen. In my perfect world, they would have got an edge in free agency. They would have traded down, traded down, secured that left tackle, decade-long left tackle Sam Darnold requires, Yeah, and gone from there. But you know it's going to be Allen or Bosa in that third pick, unless they're overwhelmed by a trade that sends them back. I just don't trust McCagnan in doing the right thing and, and building the offensive line the right way. Look at the offensive lines around the league. The New Orleans Saints, Tarrant, this is their starting lineup last year. Taron Armstead, yeah. third-round pick, left tackle. Andrus Pete, first-round left guard. Max Unger, they acquired from Seattle. He was a second-rounder. Larry Warford, free agent, third round. Ramzik, when they drafted Ramzik in that Camara draft, they took off. First round pick. Yeah. That's two first rounders, two third rounders, a second round. The Kansas City Chiefs are very similar in that regard. The Rams, the Patriots, you got to build that nucleus. Shell and Winters are not good enough for that nucleus. There needs to be an infusion of young talent there. And on a similar note to what you said, more simplistic in a way, when you talk about the great quarterbacks in history, you can more often than not attach a lineman's name next to him. Like Peyton Manning, for example. Who would he have? Jeff Saturday. You, you yeah. attach those two at the hip. And Darnold needs that guy. He has the guys he can build familiarity with in Anunua and Anderson over at the receiver positions. But what he needs now is some consistent, reliable blocking help. It's an underrated position, like I said. You know, no one wants to do that nitty-gritty work down there. No one wants to lift, you know, bench press 600 pounds during the offseason simply so you could block and, you know, not appear in the box score. But it's the nitty-gritty position, and it's the thing that's going to make the difference in the long run. And that's the thing I think we can both agree on concerns us about the New York Jets right now. Yeah, and you know what? If Bosa is there at three, I would have a hard time turning him away. There's no question. They, yes. they need the edge rush just as much. But he's going to have to hit an alignment in the third. First of all, he's going to have to make the decision to draft alignment. We haven't seen that yet in four seasons. And that's that's the most critical aspect. Second, um, they need to find a way to get back in the second round if they're really going to use the first the, the first round pick on a defense, on some edge help. They need to get back in the second round before everything is said and done. Yeah, I 
I don't know how they get if they if they draft Bosa or Allen three. I don't know how they're going to get a second round pick. You yeah. know, that's the thing. It's gonna it's gonna cost them if they want to get back in the second round. But yeah. this is the price you pay. This is how important this is. What I what we talk about when we say quarterback is king in today's NFL. Drafting a quarterback makes you do crazy. <clears throat> I mean, look what the San Diego Chargers did when they end up all for the bounty of Ryan Leaf. They trade away half their dra- half their asset assets for the next few years and Eric Metcalf. So yeah. that's crazy things. It's not even a new trend. That's what crazy things make you do. The, the Washington Redskins they traded half their assets over to the Rams so they could pick number two and take Robert Griffin the third. How did that pan out? I, yep. I never, I never like to hold injuries against guys, so I don't want to be so so cruel to RG three right there. But look, look at the Chargers situation. How did it pan out over there? The court, drafting quarterback makes you do crazy things. The Jets were fortunate enough to not go so extreme when they traded it, when they made that trade with Indianapolis. But now they're in a bit of a pickle. They have some holes filled right now. But this is a team that remember won four and twelve last year. They're picking, they're picking third overall for a reason. Let's not forget that. But there are plenty of holes to fill on this team, and it's just unfortunate that they won't. They likely won't have a second round pick moving forward. You know, and listen, it's justifiable. I mean, to do those crazy things for the quarterback. That Darnold trade was money. You wouldn't take that back in a heartbeat. Oh, of course not. Of course not. Let, let me be clear. The yeah. Darnold trade was fully necessary. Oh yeah, but here's the issue: if McCagnan had it his way, Kirk Cousins would be here. Yes, that that's what. I I have been a Kirk Cousins uh, truther for the longest time. I will the one lasting memory I have of Kirk Cousins. It was my first year covering the Giants. I went down to Washington on New Year's Day. Redskins Giants. Redskins win. They go to the playoffs. Giants were locked in the five seat. I I know the Giants in the playoffs. What what, what kind of a concept is that these days? But <laughs> but yeah. the Giants were locked in the five seat and were playing mostly their backups. Cousins struggled most of the game, but still, it was 13-10 Giants about a minute to go, and Cousins was leading them down the field. He ended up throwing an interception to Dominique Rodgers Cromartie and end the game. He blows every big game he's in, and it was not worth giving him all that money and dedicating a majority of your cap space to him. So the Jets dodged a bullet in that one. So, Interestingly enough, Barr pretty much almost left because they have no money. Yeah. They have currently eight or nine million dollars in cap space because of Cousins. His cap yeah. hit is thirty million. Uh, they signed Bar way over nine million a year, so they have moves coming pending that people are going to be cut. Yes, um, it's more than specific players here and there. It's the overall mindset and narrative of how to build a team mm-hmm. that I'm clashing with uh, with the Jets front office and McCagnan. I need to see that effort put into the line. Before I, I, I really gain any hope. I've had Jets fandoms trying to strangle me for the last two years with being anti Kirk Cousins and anti Le'Veon Bell. And it's more of a it's more of a narrative, a mindset that I need to see first before I say, okay, we're on the right track. Well, I think at the end of the day, too, another thing to keep in mind is that Le'Veon Bell's personal failure will end up being the Jets game. Remember, we keep talking about how Bell got a discount in a way. And that's true in the sense that he wanted a lot more money than what he ended up getting from the Jets. The franchise tag that he would have gotten from Pittsburgh last year would have given him about $15 million. With the Jets, he's making just over $13 million a year. Not so good with the math. This is why I'm doing a sports podcast. Not (laughs) in 
addition, subtraction, division podcast. But he bet on himself, much like Antonio Brown did, but unlike AB, it did not pan out for Le'Veon. So he's going to come out angry. And what the Jets did with this money, they didn't dedicate all of that money to one single name brand talent. They were able to get a couple of name brand guys in here. Remember, CJ Mosley is coming in as well, and he could actually form a solid grouping in there. I think he could, I think there's potential to work in there, especially when you bring back guys like Avery Williamson. They're very high in hopes on Jordan Jenkins. Who knows where the heck Darren Lee is going to go next season, but, you know, he very well could end up in Tampa Bay where Todd Bowles is the defensive coordinator now, and he didn't have a bigger fan over at one Jets drive. Than Todd Bowles. So I definitely think that the Jets were able to, that they did a good job in the sense that they did not throw all their money at one single name brand talent. They were able to get a couple name brand guys and bring in some solid compliments as well. You know, we were talking before about Jamison Crowder, about Josh Bellamy. They were able to bring in some of the guys they were pleased with last year. Jonathan Harrison, who started the fin- final eight games at center. They brought him back. Daryl Roberts has come back. Unfortunately, things did not pan out on the special teams end, but they bought Chandler Kenton Zero back, who has familiarity with the organization. So that's why I that's what I think McCagnan was able to do well this year. He showed somewhat restraint in tossing all his money at a single person and tossing away assets as well, because they didn't need Antonio Brown. I wrote about that as well on ESNY. The temptation to add Antonio Brown was there because, you know, Darnold to Brown. It has a nice ring to it, no? But they yeah. did not need Terrell Owens 2.0. They did not need that in the slightest. So, And also, they didn't need to sign Kareem Hunt. Because let's put aside whether you think Kareem Hunt deserves a second chance or not. He's going to be a distraction either way because of that. And you'll be missing him for, what, the first eight games anyway. It was announced today on Friday, March the 15th, that Kareem Hunt will be suspended for the first eight games with the Cleveland Browns. So I definitely think McKagan showed the right restraint and he showed the right budget handling this offseason with blessed with a big cap space number. I mean, folks, when Hunt got hurt, the Chiefs didn't not hurt. I'm sorry, suspended. The Chiefs didn't miss a beat. No, Damian Williams, Damian Williams, former Gase uh, back was a stud. I mean, that's what that's what happens when the offensive line is secure. And in terms of your point with Bell and Mosley, there are absolute positives. Those name brand guys, it's a marketable strategy where other stars in the league say, hey, look at this. Mm. I want to be part of that group. I want to be part of that star driven floor and park party town. It's and it's almost like what's part. And excuse me, Rob, but. Yeah, it's almost like what you're seeing in the NBA these days because right. you can't contend in the NBA unless you have a super team, unless you have you know two or three guys who are considered superstars in this league, and that's kind of what the Jets are trying to do. We saw it a little bit to a lesser extent with the Los Angeles Rams, and they seem to be continuing continuing that strategy by bringing Eric Weddle in. But you see all the name brand talents they bought in. Now teams are going to view New York as a strong destination. All they have to do now, they just have to play the games. In terms of uh, that strategy, yes, it absolutely works. But as long as it's the secondary strategy, the first strategy has to be max value on every dollar, no matter how much space is there. Oh, undoubtedly. And building the right way through the draft. Yes. If that's there, 
that culture, that that attractive uh, attractability with other stars is great. But that first equation has to be there, and that's what's still missing. We can't wait for them to get on the field. We can't wait to play some games. We'll wrap it up there here on the debut episode of the Jets All The Way podcast. Rob, any final thoughts? No. I mean, listen, Jets fans, I know you want to kill me. Um, Anti-Cousins, anti-Bell, but the fan in me who remembers the Bruce Coslett days going through this Bell film is excited that he will help Darnold. And you will have a good season this season as long as McCagnan doesn't completely ignore O-line in the draft. If he does that, forget about it. It's over. But, you know, just just put pressure to draft that O-line. They got to build it the right way. And if that happens, the sky's the limit. There you have it, folks. Rob Sabo. I, of course, am Jeff Magliacetti. We're looking, to, we're looking forward to having you on here on the Jets All The Way podcast, episode one in the books. We're going to really get you guys involved more on this moving forward. We'll have, you know, fan Q&A, Q&A segments as we move forward. You know, let's get, let's get our feet wet a little bit. We'll work on it. We'll get better, just like the Jets are trying to do right now. Overall, it should be a real exciting season. And EliteSportsNewYork.com and the Jets All the Way podcast should be there for every step of the way. My name is Jeff Magliacetti. He's Rob Sabo. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening to Elite Sports Radio. Stay elite. Right through the very heart of it, New York, New York. city that doesn't sleep and find I'm king of the hill top of the heap these little town blues